Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the Wellstar Chamber Luncheon Series for January. I'm Alan Najar with Smith & Howard, and it's been my honor to serve as chairman of the board 2020 for the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Thank you all for joining us for today's virtual event. Before we get to today's program, I need to conduct some unfinished chamber business as this is the first full member meeting for this year. It's my pleasure to officially pass the gavel to your 2021 board chair, Lindsay Petrini, Chief Operating Officer of Wellstar North Fulton Hospital. Lindsay has served your chamber for many years as a board member, chair of the finance committee, and a member of the executive committee. There is not a better person to lead us in the year ahead. Lindsay, know that you continue to have my full support and also that of Smith and Howard. So thank you for your leadership and the gavel is now yours. Thank you, Alan. And to just take a minute to really applaud you on your 2020 chair uh, during a very challenging uh, time um, for so many people. You've um, led through all of it, supported the chamber, and just uh, thank you for your hard work and leadership um, and your work with the board and with everyone. So um, now on to today's program, um, I'd like to start off by recognizing um, our sponsors uh, the first is our uh, luncheon series naming sponsor, which is um, Wellstar North Bolton Hospital. So I would like to pass um, pass the uh, mic over to an extremely important person, John Balkroom, who's the president of North Bolton, but even more importantly, my boss, to uh, make those opening remarks. Thank you very much, Lindsay. And don't let Lindsay fool you. She's everybody's boss. So <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. Um, so, uh, you know, as, as, a, as an announcement, wouldn't be complete without talking about COVID-19. Um, I, I did want to make a couple comments about that. Um, you know, overall, I, I want to speak for the healthcare community, and we certainly and very much appreciate uh, all of our community supporting your hospitals and healthcare providers during this time. It's been a long time. We're almost a year in. Uh, one of the questions is, how are the hospitals doing? And I can say with our hospital and hospitals across Atlanta, we continue to be very, very busy um, in relative standpoints. Uh, speaking about our COVID-19 surge, the surge that we have experienced since the beginning of the new year is double that that we saw in July. So it's real. Uh, we have a lot of patients. Uh, we are uh, and we are working very hard to take care of each and every one of them. Um, but it, it, I would not be doing my duty if I didn't ask, uh, you know, our community once again to, you know, please continue to do things. Uh, that keep yourselves and others safe. Um, you know, our job is to make sure that we're taking care of patients as they're coming in. We, we just like to be able to take care of many patients over a long period of time instead of all the patients at the same time. Uh, it makes it easier for us. Um, how you can help, um, I get a lot of questions about that. One thing I would ask is, is number one, COVID is real. Um, and this is a fact. Uh, it 
it does not only affect our elderly Americans. Uh, we have uh, people in all age categories that are affected in many different ways. Um, but we also see mortalities among people that are younger uh, in the 40 to 50 range, the 50 to 60 range, uh, the ages of most of us on this call today. Um, uh, certainly there are certain comorbidities that play into that, uh, but it affects everybody of every race, uh, every religion, nationality. It doesn't discriminate. Uh, I would ask that uh, everybody continue their, their social distancing and masking. Uh, these things are all important as the vaccine continues to roll out. Um, you know, we are seeing the, more and more of the vaccine. Uh, I believe the state and the hospitals right now are vaccinating people 65 and older. Uh, and hopefully that begins to roll out to the rest of the state in the very near future. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that and that support. Uh, with Wellstar North Fulton Hospital, the last thing I would add is, is during this, you know, we continue to look at ways that we can serve the community further. Uh, during COVID, we were uh, at the same time able to open a, a multi-million dollar uh, suite uh, to take care of thrombectomies, uh, which has to do with comprehensive stroke. Um, you know, in, in, in layman's terms for all of us, um, you know, most of our hospitals in the state uh, administer TPA when a patient comes in with a stroke. This allows uh, uh, physicians called uh, neuroendovascular surgeons to uh, to perform thrombectomies, which is actually the removal of the clot. Uh, we are we join the lucky few hospitals uh, here in town, Emory, Grady, and Kennestone, in our ability to do this and serve many more patients uh, in our region and improve the outcomes uh, not not only in their livelihoods uh, but also saving many lives. Um, again, we appreciate all the support. I hope all of you stay safe. And we will get through this together. Thank you. Thank you, John Paul. Next, we'll hear uh, from our presenting sponsor. I'd like to ask Sean Taylor, managing partner with Smith & Howard, uh, to say a few words. Sean? Thank you, Lindsay. Good morning. Um, like you, I'm looking forward to hearing what Dr. Dewan has to say about the economic outlook for our state, as well as the Southeast. It's coming year between the ongoing impact of COVID and the speculation about new legislation. There's understandably a lot of uncertainty for many of our clients for the upcoming year. It's an honor to be here today. We're a proud sponsor and supporter of the Chamber uh, and co-sponsor for today's event. The Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce plays a vital role in supporting businesses in North Fulton that impact the immediate North Fulton community as well as communities around Georgia, the country, and around the world. You've been instrumental in providing resources and opportunities during the pandemic as businesses work towards economic survival and recovery. Uh, our own Assurance Services practice leader, Sean Spitzer, participated in Leadership North Fulton as a member of the class of 2020, so we're excited to continue providing uh, ongoing resources from Smith & Howard to support the Chamber. Um, now, if you'll allow me to tell you just a little bit about Smith & Howard, I'm sure many of you have attended these meetings in the past and have heard about us, but uh, we'll repeat a little bit for you. We're an Atlanta-based accounting and advisory firm. Our 
clients include privately held businesses and nonprofits throughout the Southeast, around the nation, and ultimately with an impact around the world. This is a banner year for us as we are getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary uh, later this fall. We're proud to be named one of the top firms in the nation by Inside Public Accounting now for the 11th year in a row. Uh, this year, Forbes named us one of America's best tax and accounting firms. And this particular accolade is meaningful to us because it's based on unsolicited recommendations from our clients and peers. So in addition to our traditional audit and tax services, we offer sales and use tax compliance and a full complement of advisory services that expand the spectrum from enterprise risk security and management, including high trust certification services to various forms of process automation. We spent much of the last 10 months focused on the CARES Act, advising our clients on the various components of the act, including substantial assistance in helping businesses navigate the details of the Paycheck Protection Program forgivable loans. We've issued guidance on PPP literally hour by hour as the legislation unfolded and changed uh, back in the late first quarter and early second quarter of 2020. And now as the second um, enactment of support for our nation unfolds. So our clients have come to expect timely communications from us that help them make key decisions for their businesses, their leadership, and their owners. We have a sister company, Smith & Howard Wealth Management, that helps uh, families with their financial planning, investment, wealth, retirement, and estate planning needs. Uh, the people of Smith & Howard strongly believe in supporting businesses and helping to grow our economy. We're pleased to be a financial supporter of this chamber, which does so much to boost business. It's our way of investing in you and helping create a healthy and collaborative business environment. So once again, thank you all. Uh, Lindsay, I'll turn it back over to you so you can introduce uh, today's uh, keynote speakers. Thank you so much, Sean. We appreciate um, all that Smith & Howard does um, for our chamber. Um, I'd also like to thank John Ray uh, and North Fulton Business Radio X. Um, he is recording our session today. So as always, thank you, John, for all you do. Uh, now on to uh, our program. It is my pleasure today to introduce our keynote speaker, Dr. Rajiv Dewan. Dr. Dewan wears a dual hat as holder of the Zwerner Chair of Economic Forecasting and as Director of Economic Forecasting Center at the Robinson's, uh, Robinson College of Business at Georgia State. As Director of one of the country's premier forecasting centers, Dr. Dewan develops forecasts for the U.S. Southeast, uh, Southeast Regional and Local Metro Atlanta Economies. These forecasts are regularly published and presented to business executives and the media at the center's popular, well-respected quarterly forecasting conferences. Dr. Dewan has also served as an advisor to several local and state government agencies and numerous publicly held companies such as Coca-Cola, Georgia Power, Raymond James, and Turner Broadcasting, among others. He currently serves as the chair of the advisory committee for regional growth for the Atlanta Regional Commission and is also a member of the Georgia Governor's Council of Economic Advisors. Dr. Dewan's academic research analysis, uh, analyzes U.S. business cycles with a special emphasis 
on the role of credit markets on growth and survival of small firms. Dr. Wan, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, We're going to change things up uh, for today's presentation. So I'd like to ask um, our fearless president and CEO, Callie Boatwright, to join us for the fireside chat with Dr. Dewan. Callie. Thanks, Lindsay. I appreciate it. If we only had a fire to sit beside, but we're going to do it in the Zoom world, which means we, we can all envision one and, and that works out just fine. Dr. Dewan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I finally figured out to unmute myself and when it comes to the fireside chat, it's 70 degrees going to be outside today. I know, yeah. I mean, my air conditioning is about to kick on. I have to keep all the lights (laughs) off and everything. So this is a very, very crazy January 26th day, you know, in 2021. It seems fitting in all of this that we would have a 70 degree day in January, along with all of the other stuff that's been going on. So um, we're just really glad that you're here with us. And I'm going to go ahead and jump in with questions. We want to utilize our time with you. We know you're a very busy man and just appreciate so much you spending um, this hour with us to, to uh, answer some of our questions. All right. Well, um, I guess first and foremost, we know you're at Georgia State University at the Economic Forecasting Center. But to be honest, I don't exactly know what the Forecasting Center does there. What is your scope of work there? What happens at the Georgia State Economic Forecasting Center? Well, in the pre-COVID days, we would be in the office and be looking at the data and everything. And I would produce the forecast for the nation, Georgia and Atlanta. We would hold a quarterly conference. We would we would release these results in a booklet form with my presentation and handouts and everything. We will have invited speakers. We will have everything, right? And the last time I held that kind of a conference was late February a year ago. And since then, we've been at home. We've been working remotely. So my events have become remote. So my next event, which is on February 25th, is remote, you know, so it's a little bit less, but still the message is there. We're going to produce the forecast officially quarterly for the local economy and everything. But I also fill out every survey in the world, whether it's Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Blue Chip, Consensus, UK, Germany, you know, and those are monthly. So I do have to keep an eye on the economy monthly, especially the U.S. economy. It, you know, it seems to change a little bit more every month at least in the media's perspective, right? There's always a report coming out. So the difference between us and a Wall Street-style forecaster whose job would be to react to every weekly release and write reports and everything, I take a longer-term view. I do it quarterly. I release the things quarterly. I watch it. I'm going to do the short-term forecast, but I'm also going to look a little bit long-term because I don't have a stock desk or a bond desk asking me, what do you make of this indicator? I deal that with the media, but I don't have that pressure. But at the same time, the people are looking for a little bit longer picture. Where do you think it's going? Not just the day-to-day noise. So that's the difference. And we do that. Well, and speaking of long pictures, I'm a little embarrassed, but uh, we realized that it has been 20 years since you've spoken for us at the Greater North Fulton Chamber. It was April of 2001. I know how much we've changed in 20 years as an organization. Maybe you can just give us a little perspective on the changes you've seen in um, forecasting in the Atlanta area over that 20 years. Oh, 
you know, I was looking back and I was new in town. I had been barely here five months and I was coming from Los Angeles, which is a very different ball of game. Uh, when it comes to the chambers of commerces and all that, you know, the word growth was kind of like not in the lexicon over there. It was kind of like if we went a little bit further to Los Angeles, we went to Santa Barbara, they didn't want growth. If you mentioned the word growth, you were kicked out. So I was coming from that mindset and I come over here and I see, well, at that time, the, I wouldn't want to say, it was a top dog was the Metro Chamber of Commerce and they ruled the roost and North Fulton, I got invited, I came. And what I heard was like, how do we encourage businesses to come over here? You know, so I was still getting to know the driving patterns of Atlanta, right? I mean, there was no GPS at that time and everything. And looking back 20 years later, let me tell you one thing. You are in the driver's seat now. You know, you are away from the core high-rise buildings. You are away, you're socially distanced, houses spread out, you know, And in the old days, the problem used to be we don't have the nice restaurants or the artwork or this thing. That's immaterial now. What matters now is that I, workers are saying, I don't want to go into a 36-story office building and take the elevators with 5,000 people. Whereas you have those low-slung office buildings where a company can come and say, give me all the five floors, I'll put in my people, and I own the place, and I can control who goes in and out. That was not the requirement before. But now after the COVID, this is going to be the new thing. So you happen to be at the right place when this biological event happened. And I think you're going to benefit. And that's what I'm seeing in the announcements too. More talk about building smaller office buildings in Alpharetta, other places. You know, they still talk about building the high rises in Midtown. But I don't think so. I shouldn't say it, but I can say it. I'll get into trouble. That's probably not a great idea, but, you know. Well, we like it up in North Fulton, so you can say that uh, while you're on our our call here. So that's okay with us. So let's get to the big question that we're all wondering about um, the national economy, right? So what are your expectations for performance of the economy over 2021, over the next 12 months, or even over the medium term? Well, I gave you a long promo about that. I think a little bit long term. And the reason I did that is that the difference between me and the other forecasters is the timing of the good times. You know, what we call that 5% GDP growth. In my timing, there is a vaccine rollout. Takes some time. People watch it to see if it's effective, which is gets you to the fall. Everything has to go right. And then people come out and start spending and doing everything. So you have the bang for all this thing coming in late 21, early 22. So my 2022 is the most optimistic forecast compared to any forecast. But 2021, I'm a realist. You know, if I am not planning to go to a annual meeting of my organization, which is the National Association of Business Economists, in October, it tells you none of us are planning for that. And hospitality is a very big part of the bigger metro areas. Maybe not in North Fulton that much, but over here, 
So I'm looking at that thing and saying, I don't see people coming out and hugging their neighbor by March, April. That's what the other forecasters have it. The stimulus comes in, the money goes out, and people spend the money. Let me give you an example where the people are spending the money. There's a very small item in the GDP accounts called spending on watches and jewelry. Okay? That spending dropped by 50% in two months in March and April. And now it has recovered all of it and is running 20% higher. Now, who's buying watches? Who's going to work in showing it off or going to the restaurant or something? Who's buying the jewelry? Maybe the couples are cooped at home and they have to buy gifts for each other. That's one explanation <laughs> as an economist. The other one my friend came up with was that, you know, he has uh, kids who are about to get married and he says, look, if I was going to spend 30000 on a reception and it's not going to happen, or it's going to be a Zoom reception, you know, five bucks and you're done. I'll give the 30000 to the kids to buy the jewelry. And that's what's happening. So things have changed. And this kind of spending does not mean that the economy has come back to full tilt. For example, number of mortgages and forbearance in the national economy at the peak of the pandemic was 8%. Was it now? 5.5%. They came down as we opened up and we got some handle on it, but it hasn't gone to zero. You, you see, to me, the real recovery would be when this number becomes insignificant like it was before the pandemic. Remember, before, either you made your payment or you went in foreclosure. Forbearance did not exist, but it's not right. the reality of this COVID time. So now mortgages that are being originated by the banks, they're asking you to sign covenant saying that you will keep on making payments. It's a moral clause. You cannot enforce it. I mean, it's got the market has done great, the real estate market, because everybody, you know, I'll give you examples like I've heard the thing, you know, you're a New Yorker. You got a nice brownstone, 5 million. You got 20 million in assets. And then in March, you lost 10 million of your assets because you were all in the market, right? And then you found the money. It's like found money by April, May, all the money had come back. And then you said, you know what? If I live in New York, I may end up dying. I can go down to Nashville, Atlanta, Charlotte, buy a house for a million, take some of my winnings off the table, buy it, and live my life. Mm. That is one of the big reasons there has been a movement of people towards cities in the Southeast, which is affordable, and they're buying. And I think North Fulton, all the areas around it are benefiting from that. Yeah. The stock market is very important for the health of the real estate market now. Well, the health of the real estate market, uh, certainly uh, residential real estate is going gangbusters right now. And we see that, of course, in North Fulton. Um, And so let's think maybe a little more local as far as Georgia and Atlanta. Um, Do you uh, buy the proposition that the the economy, at least now in the near term, is going to follow the virus? We heard from our our hospital president uh, at Wellstar telling us about, you know, what's going on with the virus and what they're going through right now. Do you, do you believe the economy is going to follow that? You kind of said that you did. Yes. Absolutely. And I was very glad to hear his remarks because people think this virus is something separate and we can do something to the economy that's independent of the virus. And the, that's absolutely wrong. I mean, one of my headlines is for the last six months I've been using 
that this economic tangle is being led by the virus. So look at places like California and New York, where there were lockdowns and indoor dining was shut off and every other thing was essentially shut off in January and December, whereas we are still open. So you look at the numbers coming out from there, you look at the numbers over here, it's absolutely being run by the virus, the hospital capacity. And people don't realize the hospital capacity in your county is one indicator. When it gets overflowed, it's the next door county. Do they have the slack or not? On the county after that. And everywhere you look, you know, the hospitalization, the ICU numbers I was looking at yesterday, ICU use is running 80, 90 to 100% depending upon the county. Now, how much of that is COVID? Maybe 35% is COVID, you know, which means that 35% of the beds which have been used for elective surgeries and other stuff and all that, those things are getting postponed. That is where the bread and butter of the health industry is, you know? And that is what happened last year. In March and April, they shut down everything elective to keep the beds open and the hospitals open for COVID. So healthcare industry is two and a half trillion spending in the year. That thing dropped by almost a trillion in two months. It still hasn't fully recovered. And again, the virus will determine how many shoulder surgeries, how many knee surgeries, how many other stuff goes on, which is elective, which can, which can be postponed compared to a heart attack or something. And that is where it makes a difference to the economy. That also determines how much the restaurants will be open, how much the other retail will be open. So it starts to being, and I can give you some international examples. At this point, UK, Germany, Netherlands, and France, and Italy. They're practically in a lockdown. All the essential stuff, you know, is barely, the curfews in the evening too. That's a huge amount of GDP that is off the table. Then what happened is when these places closed down, everybody ran off for Christmas and New Year's from there to Dubai because Dubai was open. But they said, come on over. Their hotel occupancy went from 40% to 99%. Four seasons, you couldn't get a room. And guess what? Everybody went over there. Now, Dubai has a virus surge and they're beginning to close down. So it's just like, it's like whacking a mole. You know, you can stop the people at one spot. If they go to another place, they take it with you. So that's why vaccination and following proper protocol will make a difference. I, I, you are the first economist I've ever heard compared to whack-a-mole. So I, that's one of the reasons I do love you and have always enjoyed your forecasts. Um, let's talk about your concept. You have a triangle concept, right? Um, that helps us kind of understand what's happening in Georgia and Atlanta. The three points on the triangle are income, jobs, and then the real estate and construction market, which you talked a little bit about. Can you elaborate on how those all impact each other and how that helps us explain what's happening here? Thank you, Kelly, for bringing up my only contribution to forecasting, <laughs> which is this triangle of money, which was a necessity, was an you know invention is you know mother uh, of that saying. It happened. I had to. I had to do that because I was new in town. It's 2004, and the data is telling me the official data of jobs data is telling me that there has been 80,000 jobs created in the Atlanta metro region. And I'm looking there and saying, if the jobs have been created, people should have been buying stuff, and they should be paying their taxes. This is not 
Southern Europe or Brazil or India or something, people pay taxes over here on time. So I'm not seeing that in the numbers, in the income numbers. So that's where I came up. If you have jobs data that is giving you signals, because it can be conflicting signals, reconcile the signals with the income data, which is the personal income growth, which runs late, three months late. So you have to look at the tax collections, which are monthly. Reconcile with that before you make your real estate decisions. Do not do a shortcut that once you hear in the media that these many jobs were created or you read it, you immediately go say, I'm going to build these many apartment buildings and these many single family homes and all that. Please don't do that. You did that in the 90s. You got away with it. It was a growth times. Now it's the new times. It's a mature economy. It's a bigger metro area. Be careful. And guess what happened? A year later, when the data was revised, it's called benchmarking. I live with it. It went from plus 80,000 to minus 60,000. And that's what the income data was telling me. Sales tax were down. Income taxes were down. So you couldn't have that growth over there. That's why I created that and I used that. It, it's, it's like, you know, you have to be careful. So right now, what I'm seeing is that we lost about 532,000 jobs in two months in March and April in the Atlanta metro area. Uh, Georgia, state of Georgia, so Atlanta metro is 70% of that. Uh, in the next six months, eight months, we have recovered almost 400,000 of those. So the shortfall is about 20% still, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is better than the nation because the nation is still more lower. But here's the difference. Start looking at those well-paying jobs called the catalyst sector jobs in the corporate sector, in manufacturing, in an IT sector, in logistics, transportation, healthcare. Those jobs, we lost the same amount as the nation. The recovery is pretty much the same too. But the recovery is still 40% behind over there. And that is what will determine how many houses you're going to sell. Initially, you were able to sell everything. Because remember, all the hordes of people escaping San Francisco, New York, LA, buying in cheaper place, we are relatively very cheap in the Southeast. Whether it's Nashville, Atlanta, Charlotte, it is, it is dirt cheap compared to California and New York. You know, that's one of the reasons I'm here, you know. And so it was easy. But to sustain it, you still have to have endogenous growth in your local economy. Now, you can always import growth by putting in companies over there. But that sum total still has to be higher, right? You can bring people in from core of Metro Atlanta. But then when you add it up, you still have to have growth. And that is a little bit one of my concerns that it will take some time before we see that endogenous growth. Yeah, and I you hear people, uh, of course, refer to North Fulton in some respects uh, being somewhat in a in a bubble because of the high numbers of healthcare and IT jobs in this in this area. So our unemployment rates are are at least for this this time period now very low. Um, and seem to have recovered more quickly um, to your point about, you know, Atlanta looks a little different than perhaps the state of Georgia and certainly the rural economy. Do you think that Atlanta, specifically Atlanta, um, aligns with what's happening in the nation? Or do you think we're, we're better in that respect? See, nation numbers that you see, they're the average of everything. So right. Atlanta seems to be beating the nation 
in certain aspects, especially when it comes to the number of jobs in hospitality and retail trade, because we never closed down that much. We're still open. Of course, we're still down, but we're still open, right? Right. But if you compare them to the two biggest economies, New York and California, which were totally in a kind of like since December, these two industries have been totally pulled back. So their numbers are going to look pretty bad. And that is why when you looked at the December job report, you found there were job losses of 340,000 in hospitality, especially in the restaurants and hotels. But overall, there was still you know, 200,000 jobs being created in the other sectors, but the net was minus 140. And that's because of California, New York, and those places. It's not the case in Georgia. We had 40,000 jobs created in December, of which 20,000 were in hospitality and retail. We didn't lose jobs, unlike the nation. But remember one thing. What is the average wage in hospitality and retail? It is 15,000 or so. Maybe it's 25. What is the average wage of the healthcare and IT worker that lives in North Fulton? 100 plus? They're the ones who are going to be buying that half a million dollar home. Right. Right? Sure. Yeah, so it looks different. That's what matters. You know, where is this growth and what they will buy? And here's one thing. There was always a talk about people, the millennials want to live and always in in-town in Midtown, Bucket, and all that because of the nightlife, the restaurants, and everything. Guess what? Nightlife may still be there. It can be created anywhere. Restaurants, millennials don't like to go out and do a business dinner. That's us old phobies, the old (laughs) style, okay? They like to order from a ghost kitchen, get the best food, deliver it to their partner while they're playing their game after work because lunch is given at work. So, they can still come and live in North Fulton because so you used to say in the old days, we don't have the restaurants and the nightlife. They don't need it. Well, we do now. So we got to get you back up here because we've got no, incredible. But what I'm saying is compared to like having 20 restaurants in one sure. block, you know, it was like an impediment in the old days. Should we have, have with people come and live over here? Now everybody says I can always order in. I'm telling you one thing, the future of dining is ghost kitchens and other stuff. It is not the formal dining. There's going to be high level formal dining and there's going to be that fast food and in between will be the ghost kitchens. Yeah, where nobody's out dining. Well, let's let's talk about those the economic um, impact or the components in the future. One of the big areas is consumer demand. And I, I know you're tying it to COVID, but give us your, your thoughts on consumer demand this year. What are we going to see? We are going to see very decent spending, provided the virus does not put us into a bad spot by March, April. You see, because when you, you don't have to actually close down. The data shows, the the credit card data shows that moment the virus becomes resurgent, people pull back on spending automatically. You don't have to tell them to stay home. That happened in March, April, that happened in July, that happened in late November, December. So that is why my forecast that people will keep on spending is as an asterisk, because I'm not an epidemiologist, and even the epidemiologists don't know what's going to happen in March, April. You can think very positive, 
but you i don't want you to become too too rosy be a realist there is a more than credible chance things can go wrong and at that point the industry that suffers the most is the healthcare mm-hmm. that okay watches and jewelry fall by 50% fine there's only 100 billion in spending but healthcare is a two and a half trillion economy 25 25% of the total consumption when that drops by 30% it makes a big difference to the growth numbers so and healthcare of course has already been hard hit um so hearing that isn't isn't uh pretty for any of us how about for employment, which industries or which areas of the market, which sectors have been the hardest hit? Well, it's very obvious that the retail sector and the hospitality sector, restaurants and hotels, they have suffered the most. Okay. Followed by the suffering was everywhere, but the recovery was the fastest in manufacturing, which is, you know, it could be more socially isolated at working, you know, the white collar jobs survived quite a bit because you could work from home thanks to this technology. I mean, this thing, Zoom, WebEx and all that, they all existed 20 years ago. I have used them, but they required a specialized room with a T1 line that would cost 10000 a month to do the projection in the video. Now we can do it from home because it's only 40 bucks to get your internet at one gigabyte. So these things were not possible 20 years ago. They're possible now. We have found it out. Does it lead to growth? No, it's just maintenance. Because I can give you an example. I don't want to name the company in town. But in their technical department, they hired programmers. They have kept them. They're all working from home. But they've been layoffs in the same technology division. They kept the management but they got rid of the middle managers who were used to keep an eye on the team because they found out the team is working from home. Okay. So I don't need the middle managers. So the growth areas depend upon where you are. This is just like the nineties when it started with the banking sector where the middle management was gone. And then it went to the other corporate side. This is another new round. People are finding out, do I need this many level of management levels? to keep an eye on my workforce. And remember, that management level is the one that buys your $800,000 home. Right, right. And the technology market, of course, is very, very strong up here. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, Georgia tax collections, the state of Georgia, obviously. Yes, our tax collections, when we shut down in March and April, they tanked, not as badly as California and New York, but they still went down by 6%. In the next nine months, they have recovered 6% because we have gone out and bought. We may not have gone into a mall, but we all have done online shopping. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that really floated the boat for tax collections, people don't realize it. The state unemployment insurance payments were usually small, but the federal $600 per week that came in, that is taxable at the state level. You have to pay your 6% tax on that. You look at the collections of the income tax collections. You would say, Rajiv, the data shows job losses of half a million and the tax collections are now up by 6% is because 
we collected a lot of money on that unemployment insurance payments. At one point, about 750,000 Georgians were collecting unemployment at $600 per week. You do the math. We have collected close to a billion dollars, roughly speaking, on that payments. And that's why this is the first time I've seen that even the income tax data, you have to be careful. You need to know why this category is up. If sales tax is only up 4% and the income tax is up 8%, you know there's a disparity. Interesting. And that disparity was that. So again, triangle of money is great, but you have to know what you are looking at. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, You've been talking about the housing boom. And of course, we're seeing it up here. Houses are going for highest and best offers. It's, it's, it's great, right, for, for to some extent and, and seeing the money that, that is out there and being spent. Um, do you think that it will last and do you pass this crisis and do you believe that it is impacting the stock market, the health of the stock market? Well, you know, nothing lasts forever. So, you know, the issue is this was not what you call a standard garden variety recession where the interest rates are rising, inflation is going up, and then something happens and the economy goes into a recession. This was a biological event that made us put the brakes right on the spot. And then when we put the foot off the brake, it opened up. And it was a miracle that it opened up because if you were looking at this thing in late April, it didn't look like the spiral would end. But all right. the federal spending that happened and all the programs, you may have your beefs with the programs, but I'm just telling you, they did put a stop to that endless spiral. Now, remember, I told you, people bought homes in Boston area, in New York and other places. They bought it because they wanted to get out of the city. That's called a demand shock, a positive one. It moves the demand curve to the right. Supply is always fixed in the short run, so the prices go up. You can see that in the home price appreciation. Now the next round is how much are you building in response to it. Nationally, the home builders are building at the rate of 1.7 million housing units annually, which just a year ago, they were had trouble building 1 million. So it's gone up. In the permit data that I'm seeing for the local economy, there has been an uptick but not as much as the national economy. Because again, it's about the price of the lot and builders are being cautious. And also somebody has to finance them. And we have just come off the bad 2008, nine. And remember the overbuilding. So the, the scars are still there. So it will take some time. And also they're trying to figure out, is this movement permanent or temporary? You know, today it looks like People want to live over here, but then what happens two years down the road? Again, it will go down to endogeneity of the job growth. You will have to develop it within the area. This this shock maybe lasts this year too, and then it's over, right? It's not like every year people will keep on moving out. Those who could have already moved. The second thing is on the interest rates. They are historically low. If anybody thinks that the 3% mortgage rate will go down to 2% is basically asking for an economic disaster. Only then it would happen. Mm. Okay. So let's go forward this year. Last year, there was a big fiscal program. 
the government spent three trillion. Where did they get the money? Think over it. We were not spending out, so we saved the money. The stimulus checks that came to the other people, people saved it that too. Corporations were not doing spending the money. They were not investing in their firms. They were doing maintenance. So a trillion and a half there and a trillion over there, we funded it, right? But this year, the corporations are beginning to open up. There's no more. We're not increasing our savings. We're beginning to open up. And the rest of the world, whether it's Germans, Germans used to run a budget surplus. They're going to run a budget deficit of 10% of the GDP. Mm-hmm. So the money that used to come from Norway, Germany, Singapore, other places, they're going to their own countries. And if we are going to do, again, a few more trillions, then demand and supply, price has to go up, which means the interest rate goes up. That's why in my forecast this year, even though the Federal Reserve will not raise rates for the next three, four years, will not even think about doing it, the long-term rate will rise because it's a global market now. And that's why the mortgage rates can easily be 50, 70 basis point higher by the end of this year. We don't want them to happen in one month. Slowly, people adjust to it. But there are some people who are betting upon, oh, it's 3% today. Last year was four. The year before was five. It's going to be two this year. Let's build it. Don't do it. Watch it. See it. And it's simple. How much money you want and how many people are willing to lend it to you. Right. Um, and you, you talked a little bit about the Fed. Are you, you're worried about the inflation, consumer price inflation? Okay. Here's the thing. What creates inflation? If you went to your garden right econ class, which I have taught to, uh, the thing over there is, this true thing is that too much money chasing too few goods, which is correct. The second thing is, what do you mean by too much money? Oh, the money supply growth is so high, it's going to cause inflation. That is not true because money supply being high means the lending has to be high and lending is not high. So the Federal Reserve creates the money to buy the bonds. It goes into the reserve account of the banks and they earn an interest on it. They don't make the loans. You don't have the inflation. That's why there has been no inflation for the last 10 years. The excess reserves accounts are full. And this time, too, when we did that spending, the excess reserve account went from one and a half trillion to three trillion in a matter of weeks, because that's where we saved the money. Mm -hmm. So inflation happens when if this would be you would say, I would love to take that inflation. Let me give you a counterfactual scenario to my forecast. Let's say by March, April, everybody is vaccinated. This thing is gone. We have come out, we're hugging our neighbors, we're having parties and everything. That means everything is back to normal. It was a bad dream. And then everybody says, I need to travel, I need to get on the plane, I need to buy this thing, let me get that watch, let me get that suit, let me get that shoe. All of a sudden, the demand comes at the same time and the supply is limited, you will have inflation. I would take that inflation anytime. Because it's going to be one time and it's over. But that's not the way I see it. I don't see inflation happening because I don't see the demand coming back to normal for a while. It's going to be slow and steady. And remember, I told you, 
How many people are still in forbearance? Five and a half percent. That is a lot of households that are not going to be spending money because they know they have to pay off the mortgage debt. Right. That makes sense. Um, and as you mentioned, um, interest rates rising as far as you know that expectation, you've already said, trying to keep those controlled, right? We don't want that to happen by the Fed in, in the near term anyway. Um, you, we mentioned houses, right? The real estate market. Uh, for housing, what about the office sector? Because those two, in some cases, do tie, right? People, executives who are making decisions about where to locate or in this particular situation where to move, they're they're going to keep it near potentially their homes. Do you think there's going to be, and we're already seeing some change to the office sector versus, and I know industrial has just gone crazy, manufacturing is up. So maybe speak to those two points on the business side. Yeah, that's pre-pandemic you would build a high-rise in the center of the town and your workforce, depending upon the age group, would be located where they wanted to live. So you put up a big high-rise in Midtown, your millennials are living around it, and then your managers and the older workforce is living in Alpharetta, North Fulton, and commuting, and also from the middle of the town. That was the old traditional model. The new model now is that These companies are saying, let me open a satellite office in a place like North Fulton. My workforce has already moved from here. We've told them to move. And we're not going to work anyway. So let's go over there. So all of a sudden, where you put your office building and where you live is going to get more interconnected because once you have to go to the office, you don't want to be driving too much. You want to just go quickly. You're going there a few days a week. Some people will drive long distance, you know, but in yes. these kind of cases where we can do both the building and living in the same spot, places like out of the metro areas are very well positioned. Not to say the metro area won't do, but it will have to be a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, no more 36-story tower and people living in a high-rise building next door in an apartment and coming over to work. Right. And I don't know the industrial, the manufacturing that's blown up have really been more in in the suburban, obviously, to rural areas, correct? Right. But but there's another part of the warehousing and industrial, which is connected to the ports. All the stuff that we buy from Amazon, Target, Walmart, Costco, I've named all your brands. Okay, so nobody can accuse me of not, if I missed anybody, you're buying it from there. (laughs) Where is all this stuff made? Yeah. 90% 90% plus is made abroad. The other 10% if it's made in the U.S. still has to be shipped from one port to the other. So it comes on the ships. They get unloaded in Savannah, which has now become a huge port. When I came to Georgia 20 years ago, it was probably number 10. It's probably number two now. One in, I mean, Los Angeles one. Long Beach is always number one and two, and then comes Savannah now. So all that stuff that cut, gets off the ships has to be put into some place. And you have the demand for warehouses over there. Then you have the inland ports where there's another round of loading and unloading on the trucks. So we have two inland ports. One is, I think, near Macon. One is getting built up in North Georgia. That's the way it goes. So that's where the warehousing follows. And it's not going to build stuff in the middle of the town. Now, yeah. again, people are buying the stuff but they need the distribution space. 
So all these malls and other places, they're going to get repurposed as distribution centers. Yeah, it's a matter of time. Purchasing online. Uh, Dr. Dewan, I'm going to call this the speed round because I've gotten a few questions in the chat box. And so I, I want to be able to ask you a few of those. I know that that uh, we could go on for hours, but we've told these people they can get off in an hour. So I've got a couple of minutes here. We've got a question about your um, view on the economic outlook for the local insurance and financial services market. Very specific. Uh, that's a really specific question. Insurance and what was the other one? What was financial the services. Well, both of the financial services is tied to how the stock market does. Yeah. And it's done fabulous in the last year. They have hired people. It can be done remotely. And there's been talks about market could be overvalued. I'm no expert on this thing, but that's your risk over there. On the insurance side, their assets are with the stock market, but their sales are to the real people, buy my insurance. And as the economy recovers, the insurance demand will come back up. You know, So again, the board gets tied to the interest rate, stock market, and the recovery in the economy. Well, are they as vulnerable as the uh, hospitality people in the restaurants? No, right. but that's their risk. I have a, a question here about the um, the numbers of uh, working mothers who have dropped out of the workforce to take care of children during this time at a at an unequal rate, if you will, and how that may affect the economy. I saw that when I was I was going to say let's let's tackle yeah. that because yeah. I'm telling you, I can see the stress on women's faces in my staff neighborhood and all that. Those who have more than one kid, it is absolutely tough for them. They have been the real heroes in this one, apart from our front care workers and everything, holding the home front. And some of them have decided to drop out because they just can't handle everything, which means the productivity of the economy takes a hit. It may free up some jobs and other people can get it, the new entrants, but these people are skilled. They have done work which means they're a higher level of productivity. And when they go out of the workforce, you replace it with a new worker, it can't be the same productivity. So actually it takes a hit. And we are still dealing with it. That is why looking at the unemployment rate and other stuff, unemployment rate is the worst indicator about the health of the economy because it does not capture all this other stuff. Plus there's some other issues. I like to look at how many jobs have come back, what type of jobs, their quality, paying power. And I also like to look at uh, what's going to happen with those financial stress indicators, like how many people are in forbearance, foreclosures, bankruptcies. That, to me, will give me a better picture of the economy. So, yes, that is going to be a problem. And if this pandemic goes on in this way, Another six to eight months, there will be more dropouts from the labor force for sure. You mentioned productivity, and this is the last question, unfortunately, because we I still have them coming in on Q&A. Um, is it possible that the silver lining of this entire period could be a productivity boost or spurt when we emerge? It's possible, and it will take some time, and it will come through the healthcare field because, for example, 
bariatric surgeries for obesity, they, before the COVID, they were running at a certain level. There was a seasonality over there. Then during the COVID, the first few months, they totally dropped by like 95% because they were considered elective. They have come back up, right? Now, people may become more about, you know, I need to be not obese. So they may do things more about that, and that can lead to more healthcare demand. That can lead to more changes on the healthcare side. And of course, if your health statistics are better, then your productivity is better, then your long-term income potential is better. So I see the effect through that, but it will take some time. It's not going to be three, six months. This is a three, six, 10-year proposition. Okay. I understand. Well, I, it's a mixed bag. I, uh, I definitely, it's always good to have you um, with us. We will not wait 20 years again. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us, but we know it's an interesting time, right? I mean, no one has a crystal ball. We appreciate you sharing with us your research and, and what it's demonstrating. But as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's long-term. There's, there's a lot that's going to go on over, over the long-term. Unfortunately, that's all the time we do have for questions for today. Um, Dr. Dewan, thank you for being with us and your excellent forecast. As we close out, I really want to thank our sponsors, Wellstar North Fulton Hospital and Smith & Howard for supporting the event. Um, and of course, thank you to John Ray for being our media sponsor and, and recording today. I also want to thank everyone who, who joined us virtually. We had about 120 people on the call. Um, the next Wellstar monthly event will be held on February 23rd and is about our growing economic impact and growth of the esports industry, which is absolutely um, growing by leaps and bounds. We're excited to welcome an outstanding panel of experts, including Todd Harris with Skillshot, Brennan Dicker with Georgia State University's esports training, and Asante Bradford with the Georgia Department of Economic Development. Thank you to the Development Authority of Fulton County for sponsoring that event. I hope you'll plan to join us on Thursday, February 4th, as we partner with both Roswell Inc. and the Johns Creek Chamber to bring our first uh, seminar in our AT&T Small Business Seminar Series. We're going to focus on outsourcing services and have a great uh, lineup of panelists for technology experts like Kelly Hartz with Eclipse Networks, David Hammond with Able Solutions, and Lori Winters with Thread HR. Thank you to Phone One and Vineyard Johns Creek for sponsoring that event on February 4th. Please be sure to check our calendar. We have lots of upcoming events um, online at gnfcc.com. We appreciate all of your time. Again, Dr. Dewan, thank you for being with us. Um, Sean, Lindsay, thank you, and Kelly, for thank moderating you. the interview. It's a tough job, but you did great. I, I sound a lot smarter, so thank you for that. I feel better at the end. <laughs> you make me look better, so that's that's what matters. You know. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.